feel like we should have known this already Were we even taught this at all? everybody and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about some things we should have learned in school but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. I got it right this time! Yay! I think it took, and sometimes we talk about Maddie going away for two weeks and leaving me home alone with the cats. Yeah, he's been like, I miss you. I'm, I'm like, and I was like, Why? And, you, and he, he's like, I just miss you. I'm, and then I got home and I started becoming myself. And he said, I don't remember why I missed you. <laughs> well, I think it was like, I was like, okay. I was like, I think I'm going to go to sleep. Then it's like, let me tell you in depth about this murder. My new theory on Jack the Ripper. Yes. Yeah. But I was in Austin, Texas for a couple of weeks helping out a family member. And I went to the Museum of the Weird, which actually is a major part of what I'm talking about today. But I also discovered while I'm there that I am very allergic to dogs. So incredibly allergic. I have had dogs on and off my entire life. I've been around dogs. It's never been an issue. I am covered in hives. It's like, it looks like she's got the plague. It's It's smallpox level. It's to the point where I was like looking up pictures of monkeypox because that hit Austin, Texas while I was there. And I was like, shit, do I have monkeypox? I don't. It's hives. And of course, you know, to add to the confusion, she says, hey, uh, she's talking to her mother. And she's like, yeah, Austin has monkeypox. So I need to be careful. It's like, she means the city of Austin. She means the city of Austin, not <laughs> the nationally beloved podcast host, Austin. The, the beloved by 16 whole people. Hey, international- Four of whom might be us. <laughs> internationally known we are big in japan for some reason yeah we weirdly occasionally show up like trending really well in japan so what's up japan konnichiwa we actually dig you yeah um and it's nippon right yeah it's it's what yeah it is it is yeah it's one thing i don't get is if it's possible for us to at least closely pronounce a country's name why don't we do it i know it's like the same thing with germany because germany is deutschland deutschland yeah. yeah Um, and granted, there are other countries that don't call us the United States. Just, we're just Murica. Murica. Um, but like in Spanish, we're Estados Unidos. But it's a, it's a very close thing. Deutschland and Germany are not the same, and yet we can say both. It's, it's one of those things where it is what, um, like, the word that some other country called the people from there got told to Europeans and then kind of telephoned its way around. So it's like... Every city in this country. Yeah. Um, let's see. In other news, I am the worst wife ever, and I got ahead of Austin on Only Murders in the Building. But we're catching up, and it's so funny. It's, okay, I can fully, wholeheartedly say watching it a second time is just as good because you can now watch it for the comedy and not trying to figure out who who done it. So that's true for both seasons. So, yeah, if you're not watching it, watch it, because I really want to see what everyone else thinks, because I just changed my mind on who at least one of the killers is. I'm not convinced there's only one. Um, But Austin hasn't gotten to the episode where I've made that decision yet. Oh, I'm excited. Uh, While she was gone, I watched a movie that was just absolutely amazing. It was Prey. Um, It's like a Predator prequel, and it's so good. Entirely indigenous actors. There's a Cherokee dub version. Oh, that's cool. It's it's fantastic, and it's like, it's a low budget for an action movie, and 
everything hits right. It's a good movie. Let's see. I okay. So my bed in my my cousin's apartment was like up where her TV would be. So we didn't watch a whole lot of TV other than only murders. But I did listen to Gone Girl, which I can't really recommend, but it does have an actual good twist. Um, I listened to a book called Beneath the Stairs, which I can say will make a very good movie someday. And I listened, okay, almost my entire drive back from Texas, which is eh, anywhere between 10 and 12 hours. Almost all of it was the first four or five parts on um, Jack the Ripper from Morbid. And Morbid, there, I, I was wishing I could take notes because there were a couple of like little background things they mentioned. I'm like, wait, I remember hearing about that. But obviously, they're a true crime podcast. They're not digging into it. So I might actually have to go back and re-listen to like the eight hours of it that already exists <sighs> just to take some notes about these background things that are happening. Because first of all, if you don't listen to Morbid, listen to it. They do a lot of really good historical research. They do a lot of focus on the, um, the victims. Did you know that the women that were killed by Jack the Ripper were all human beings with full lives? What? I know. Um, they like, mentioned Bloody Sunday, and I'm like, I know Bloody Sunday, but I think it's a band I'm thinking of. It's a U2 song. Oh, that's the worst. Which I, I think, oh, that, but they might refer to like a specific day in like the whole, the time of troubles with Northern Ireland. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think oh. that's what this is. And I don't know because we don't learn anything outside of American <gasps> history. Oh. And I, I barely learned American history. And which is funny because I love history. I love history. Okay, and speaking of history, are we ready? I'm ready. So in Austin, Texas, they have this place called the Museum of the Weird. And I can't resist going anywhere without going to the strangest possible place I can find. Like, I was really sad my route back didn't take me through Houston because they have the National Funeral Museum there, which um, I'm going to hit up at some point. And the Museum of the Weird is... Basically, a lot of the podcast episodes I've done, like there's a whole P.T. Barnum section, (laughs) um, basically telling the history of all the weird shit we have done largely in the United States. I took so many photos just for future podcast references, but there was one that really stuck out to me for today's episode. And I'm not really ripping anything off from them. I took a couple of pictures to remind me of the name, and then I did my own research, so... Shout out to Museum of the Weird in Austin, Texas. I got myself a t-shirt that has one of the wild things from where the wild things are. And it says, uh, keep Austin wild on it, I think. Love it. Love it. But I'm talking about one of the primary parts in the horror section. Now, by horror, I mean they have all kinds of horror movies and movie props and costumes in this whole section, including a giant King Kong. I don't think I sent you the picture of it. Oh. Um... Some people have broken his hands over the years because he got the big hands. People would like stand on them and stuff and they've broken. But I did take a selfie in front of him, so we're good. But that's not who I'm talking about. When we think about classic horror movies, we often think of Bella Lugosi. But Lugosi never would have happened without Lon Chaney, the man of a thousand faces. <gasps> if you've ever heard of him, that's probably you've heard of him as, the man of a thousand I've faces. I've heard of the man of a thousand faces, but not Lon Chaney. Leonidas Frank Chaney was born April 1st, 1883, in Colorado Springs. His grandfather founded the Colorado School for the Education of Mutes, now called the Colorado School for the Deaf and Blind, where Lon's parents met, both of whom were deaf. And because of this, Lon became very good at pantomiming. Now, I don't know if his parents didn't use ASL 
or if he didn't learn it, because I did double check ASL did exist by here, but he dropped out of school in fourth grade because his mom was bedridden and that's how he got to have these skills because he, uh, he cared for her for the next three years. His biographer said that he was able to communicate with only his face because he had to learn how to. The words the biographer used are deaf face, which I don't know if that's offensive or not. So I'm just saying that's what the biographer said. But he has, Lon Chaney had a very expressive face. Ultimately, this resulted in him becoming a vaudeville and theater actor in 1902. <laughs> and he married 16-year-old singer Clava Creighton in 1905. They had a son, Creighton, later called Lon Chaney Jr. He changed his name in 1906. He didn't like to talk much of the time like Lon Chaney himself was not a big talker but his son said Lon would quote as a last resort pop would always break into a dance in front of any of them old time bars and get enough nickels and dimes to buy some food <laughs> so they weren't doing well financially but he tried Lon and his wife continued on the circuit for the next three years until Lon was running the Kolb and Dill show and Clava attempted suicide by consuming mercuric acid. Uh, it was once used for syphilis treatment, but as you know, mercury is bad for you. Incredibly bad for you. And she survived, but she was a singer, and she had swallowed the mercuric acid. Oh. So her career was over. This all led to a divorce, which did not make Cheney look good in theater circles, because theater is a very small world. So he ended up moving into film. For the next several years, his son moved from home to home and occasionally to boarding schools, believing his mom was dead. What? He didn't find out she was alive until after Lon Sr. died, which was not like next day or anything. It was years. Lon Chaney worked for Universal Studios doing small roles, but his makeup abilities are what got him noticed. He became friends with Joe DeGrasse and Ida Mae Park, a director, husband, and wife team. And they both directed movies together and separately. There was a woman director. Wow. Um, and they were like, this guy's pretty good. So they gave him larger and larger roles in scary movies where he played more and more grotesque characters. At this point in time, there really weren't horror movies at all. They had movies that were kind of, you know, Kind of scary, but they were always kind of goofy because, you know, they didn't have all the technology and the makeup ability. They started noticing that this guy could twist his face and body into all these positions and he could do makeup pretty good. So like, let's start making these a little scarier. He also remarried. Uh, her name was Hazel and they got custody of his son, who was 10. Lon began his work in films as a journeyman, uh, largely making props. His breakthrough role was in 1919's The Miracle Man, in which he played a character called The Frog, who could contort himself into insane positions. Now, Austin will tell you, nothing, like, makes us happier than a really good contortionist in a movie. Yeah. They are so freaking scary. Like, oh, I remember that, there's that movie you watched, I think it was, like, Mama or something, the Guillermo del Toro one, where it was, like, the ghost that, like, was, like, stalking these two kids in the woods. And it was like really good contortionist work on that. And that was the only good thing about it. The only thing I remember called Mama was the Jennifer Lawrence movie. And that wasn't a Guillermo. No, so I'll have to think was, about that it. That was Mother. Oh, I don't know. But I love a good contortionist. And I'm so excited for Hocus Pocus 2 to come out. <gasps> He's back. They're bringing, they're bringing that up. The same Billy. He's coming back. Ooh. Um, anyway, 
He then worked with Dorothy Phillips and William Stoll in The Piper's Prince. The two men from then on, him and William, kept alternating the roles of lover and villain in future movies. Occasionally joined by Claire de Brewery, making Phillips, Stoll, Lawn, and Dubray a troupe in essence. They kind of like would rotate different roles in the same films. Universal made 14 movies with Cheney, Stowe, and Phillips, usually directed by DeGrasse or Park. The group ended, this sucks, when Stoll was in Africa scouting, lo- scouting locations. He was in the t- caboose of a train, which was hit by another train, and he was instantly killed. So though Cheney had already done some of his own work, he was truly alone now. Uh, so the frog in The Miracle Man, that movie made over $2 million in ticket sales then, which would be about $34.26 million today. He was becoming America's favorite character actor. Now notice I'm not saying horror movie actor because they didn't have the phrase horror movie. He was a character actor, which means he could slip into different characters and kind of disappear into them. We can think of this a lot with, oh God, the worst possible example just came into my head. I'm trying to think of a better one. Basically anybody who's frequently in a movie with their friends, but playing drastically different characters like Rob Schneider. That is exactly who I thought of, and I was trying to think Ugh. of literally anybody else. I know. I, I I do not. Okay. I think I've mentioned this before. I cannot stand, stand Adam Sandler. And I think by extension, that also means I cannot stand Rob Schneider. Um, God, I'm, I am blanking. I guess um, Seth Rogen probably would have been one for a while, but now he's the adult in the room, and that's a little frightening. Yeah. Um, McLovin? Where is he? I don't know. Anyway, let's, that's not the whole point. Yeah. He typically played characters who were deformed or disguised. He even played characters who were missing limbs, using nothing but his own skills. He played Quasimodo in The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Eric the Phantom in Phantom of the Opera. He was so dedicated to his role, though there are some mixed reports on this, but most I saw said this, that he had wires contorting his nose to play the Phantom. And if you've like, if you've not seen this photo, look up Lon Chaney, C-H-A-N-E-Y, Phantom of the Opera. I don't see how else he would have done this in this year anyway. Uh, he had wires contorting his nose so it would stick kind of up into the side, and it bled constantly, and he just kept shooting. Uh, the only time he ever asked to stop was when he was playing a double leg amputee in The Penalty. He had his legs strapped behind him ankle to thigh, and he walked on the leather stumps. Uh, it hurt so badly he could never do more than 20 minutes at a time. Now, as I understand this, this is similar to what they did in uh, Forrest Gump with Lieutenant Dan, but there were also more technologies available by yeah. then. And also, like, there are laws now. <laughs> Law, pff, laws, laws. And man, I was trying to think of a good Phantom of the Opera joke based on Andrew Lloyd Webber, but I couldn't. And I know that that's, that's all that you ask of me. I just ask that you think of me fondly when we say goodbye. And just remember me once in a while. Promise me you'll try. I, I mean, I know we never said our love was evergreen or as unchanging as the sea. Sorry, guys. I'll keep going. <laughs> so his phantom, Eric, was so excellent that uh, people claimed women fainted. Men had to leave the theater for air. Children cried. Some people argue that the moment Eric is unmasked remains to this day one of the most horrifying images ever seen on screen. Again, look it up. 
Film School Rejects describes the process as, quote, to become a living skull. Cheney raised the contours of his cheekbones with cotton and colloidin, a very flammable and syrupy solution of pyroxylin mixed in with alcohol that creates the appearance of scarred skin when dried. He flattened and possibly glued his ears to his head, adding to the skull look. An exaggerated skull clap was used to elevate Cheney's forehead by several inches, accentuating the bald dome of the phantom's skull, draped by flat-pressed wisps of stringy black hair. Pencil lines were used not only to exaggerate the natural creases of Cheney's brow, but also to hide the lip of his bald cap. Um, and then there were also layers of grease paint and the wires concealed under putty and his skull cap that pulled his nostrils up. This was really common with his movies, and his type of acting had never been seen before. And in addition to the screaming and the fainting, in one case, a man left his movie, went home, murdered his maid, and tried to kill himself because a hallucination of Lon Chaney in London After Midnight, which I believe was about werewolves, I didn't write it down, made him kill her. Oh, was this like the first, was this the first instance of someone blaming the movies? Probably. Wow. A pioneer. So Phantom of the Opera is technically the first real horror movie. He is the first horror actor. Chaney was able to do his own makeup because it was the norm. And he was also one of the people who understood how to make up work on screen. The stereotype of the villain with the mustache or the beard comes from silent films, as those were the only types of makeups that could work really well on film, so they were used on villains. Well, for some reason, this guy was really able to understand how things played on, on film. Like, as you know, the house in, it's either the Adams Family or the Munsters. Uh, the Munsters. Is pink. Yeah. Because that played oh, best. Oh, no. maybe it was the Adams Family. No. I think it, I think it was the Munsters. Um, it was pink. Because on screen, that would make it look all gray and creepy. Yeah, I know. He it, understood this stuff. Yeah. I don't know how. He just did. Yeah, I know in uh, WandaVision, like in the black and white episodes, Vision's makeup was actually blue. Yeah. Because that like that played better in the black and white. Mm-hmm. Color theory is weird, man. Chaney figured out how to use theater makeup, which is part of it. His background is theater. And adapt it for use on screen, which for some reason nobody had ever tried before using prosthetics and multiple layers of color. He did this without a makeup team, as those were actually non-existent. In fact, makeup was so non-existent in terms of like theatrical needing these big kits that his kit was and remained a fisherman's tackle box. <laughs> it is like, it never stopped being a fisherman's tackle box. He never got an actual makeup box. And when he couldn't figure something out, he enlisted the help of others. For instance, at the time, contact lenses were new inventions, and people like didn't really know about them. But he needed a clouded eye for the movie The Road to Mandalay, so he went to an optician and had him make one of probably the first ever cosmetic contact that was clouded over. Ooh. Because of these skills, as well as his acting, singing, dancing, and comedic abilities, he became highly sought after. He could play literally any character, and he even played multiple characters in the same film without anybody noticing, the most famous of which was one where he, the hero, killed himself, the villain. <laughs> Though his characters were hard to look at, one of the things he really wanted to do was ensure that the audience viewed them as people. 
He wanted them to feel sympathy. In an article for Movie Magazine, and again, this guy never gave interviews, he said, quote, I wanted to remind people that the lowest types of humanity may have within them the capacity for supreme self-sacrifice. The dwarfed, the misshapen beggar of the streets may have, have the noblest ideals. So no matter what, his goal was just because they're different and scary doesn't mean that they want to be that way, doesn't mean they are that way. Like, if you know Hunchback, Quasimodo is the villain to everybody who's not paying attention. Hashtag spoiler for book that's 200 years old. But all I've seen is the Disney version. It's the same thing in that. Oh, okay. And honestly, the priest is just as rapey in that as he is in the book. Uh, The real villain was, of course... Society. The the gargoyles. Especially the Jason Alexander one. Jason Alexander was it Danny DeVito? It was Jason Alexander, the gargoyle. Huh. Oh, no, Danny DeVito was in uh, Hercules. Hercules, yeah. Anyway, speaking of Hunchback, good, good segue, me. In 1923, <laughs> The Hunchback of Notre Dame was Universal's highest grossing film. In 1928 and 1929, Cheney was voted the number one male box office attraction by theater owners. It's so weird that we've never heard of him. And he was so versatile that it became a common phrase to say, don't step on that spider, it might be Lon Cheney. <laughs> Okay, that's that's clever. Despite all this fame, he led a private life. His wife, Hazel, didn't engage in the Hollywood social scene at all. So like back then, it was the thing to go and party, party, party. There's some excellent true crime Hollywood cases from this time period. Wait, but luckily that's changed. Hollywood is not known for its wild parties anymore. Oh, today's parties have nothing on the ones from like before 1960. Oh, Uh, you know, when we started having laws. Um, (laughs) Before there were laws, it's like, oh, you're 12, here's some Adderall, but not Adderall, whatever it would have been then. Cocaine. Here's some some methamphetamines. Yeah. So that's essentially what they were giving to Judy Garland. Um, Cheney did as little promotional work for his films as possible, in part to maintain an air of mystery, and in part because he just didn't want to. In fact, he once said, quote, between pictures, there is no Lon Chaney. Those who knew him agreed with director T.D. Browning calling him the star who lived like a clerk and Jackie Coogan saying he made Howard Hughes look like Pia Zadora. Now, Howard Hughes was a massive recluse and Pia Zadora was the opposite. Okay. Um, he had avoided going to premieres, socializing, signing autographs, and even answering fan, fan mail unless it was from incarcerated men. He would answer that. Huh. Didn't go too far into that. My guess is that just like it goes back to his whole even the lowest of society have something to offer kind of ideal. He thought publicity types, the types of publicity done were stupid and the personal details they wanted were ridiculous, saying, quote, I can just hear them saying eat Lon Chaney's favorite cereal and look like the hunchback of Notre Dame. I feel like that would be the worst advertisement for cereal. He also wanted to, quote, Fix it so nobody else will write my biography after I'm gone. And that's true. Like, even the biographers I'm looking at here, they're all kind of saying this is pieced together as best we can. He kept as little out there as possible. Because of this, people like to say he had a darkness to him. He was secretive. He was withdrawn, whatever. He was known to be someone you didn't want to get mad to some people. But he was also someone who apparently recognized all the hard work of those around him. For instance, he once refused to work overtime because it was it would have resulted in extras missing out on a day of pay. So basically it was, all right, we can work for another couple hours. The extras will have to work that time too. 
or we have to come back tomorrow. Well, the extras would get a whole day of pay for the next day. He's like, no, we're coming back tomorrow. I'm not working overtime. <laughs> um, and the young actresses he worked with said he was protective and kind. Uh, and he only he didn't only play characters that were deformed. He one of his favorite movies was Tell It to the Marines in 1926, in which he played a drill instructor. He had no costume makeup for this. He was just a good looking dude. Because he was. That's one thing you wouldn't think with this guy, based on how much makeup he had. He put him on. You would think he was trying to hide something. He wasn't. He was a good looking guy. The Marines liked the movie so much that he became the first ever honorary member from, from the film industry. <laughs> it's also worth noting that some of his big characters were not frightening monsters, but they also wouldn't hold up to modern scrutiny. Remember, we're talking about the 19 teens, the 1920s. Oh, yeah. He played Ah Wing, a Chinese servant in Outside the Law, though it's noted that this movie actually ch treats Chinese characters comparatively favorably. It even had Anna Mae Wong, who would later become known as the first ever Chinese-American movie star and the first ever Asian-American woman to be on U.S. currency. But Cheney would also play other Chinese characters, Mr. Wu and Grandfather Wu, in the movie Mr. Wu. This story sounds kind of horrifying, honestly, but I need to see it because the description is really confusing. Like, he played a stereotype, but I read part of the Wikipedia entry about this movie to show how creative he got with his makeup. So this is just about the makeup. I'm not talking about him playing an Asian character, other than the fact that it would not play today. This was 100 years ago. In the film version, for his 100-year-old look, Cheney built up his cheekbones and lips with cotton and Richard Collodion. His nostrils were stuffed, were stuffed with cotton and the ends of cigar holders, and his long fingernails were constructed from strips of painted film stock. Fish skin was used to affect an epicanthal fold to his eyes, and gray crepe hair was used to create his mustache and goatee. The makeup procedures took for four to six hours to apply. Oof. So he actually did get really into it, including the ecanthal folds, which yeah. are skin that kind of goes between your it's next to your nose and it goes kind of like from your above your eye to below it i have them um and like i can't imagine trying to create those which is probably part of why it's good that we don't do this anymore yeah um okay that's actually not why it's good but you know what i mean there's lots of reasons why we don't do this anymore yes now remember his big thing was my characters are not monsters my characters are people but again this would not play now yeah I'm not going to sit here and say those movies shouldn't have been made. I mean, I don't know if the movies themselves shouldn't have been made, but like one thing leads to another. And if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have anime Wong. We wouldn't have moved into where we are now with everything all over whatever, whatever. I can never remember the title of it. Everything all the time. Uh, everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. That was so good. Like, so no, we shouldn't have had a white guy playing this, but okay, actually, we was... opened like this opened doors to other people getting to open more doors and more doors and more doors. And M Mordor? One does just not walk into Mordor. Um, so I'm not defending the use of yellow face, particularly since they also had Asian actors in the movie. Not just anime Wong. There were other Asian actors in the movie. I'm simply pointing out the unique ways he found of creating a character. And also saying we can't judge something from 100 years ago by today's standards. We can look at that and go, glad we don't do that now. Better make sure we don't do that in the future. Mm -hmm. But we can't look at it and go, Lon Chaney was a villain. Because of this. 
Also, cinematographer Virgil Miller said he wanted to be both unrecognizable, even frightening, but to have audiences love him. He always wanted to be loved, which is why his work may still resonate today. He has been, he may have been a bit of a method actor reaching through the screen and grabbing the audience's hearts. His last movie was a remake of The Unholy Three, which he had first been in when it was a silent film. This one was a talkie, and he stated he voiced... The ventriloquist, the old woman, a parrot, the dummy, and the girl in the movie. Now, remember, he started out in vaudeville, so his ability to do things with his voice in addition to his pantomime skills isn't surprising. Now, I read a couple of conflicting things, but I believe this remake was actually just the silent version with dubbing. I'm not positive, though. His end came when he was filming the movie Thunder in 1929 when he got pneumonia. Later that year, he was diagnosed with bronchial lung cancer, made worse by the artificial snow being used in the film that got stuck in his throat and caused an infection. He ultimately died of a throat hemorrhage on August 26, 1930. Oh, God. He's buried in the Forest Lawn Memorial Park Cemetery in Glendale, as is his second wife, but his crypt is unmarked as per his wishes. Is that that the same cemetery that's got, like, uh, a bunch uh, of other... I think so. Okay. Uh, after his death, James Cagney starred in a biopic called Man of a Thousand Faces, though this was a largely fictionalized version because of how private he was. Um, Lon Chaney was put on a postage stamp, given a star in the Walk of Fame, and a cabin he built in the Sierra Nevada is preserved by the Inyo National Forest Museum. His makeup case, the tackle box, was donated to the Los Angeles County Museum. Unfortunately, 102 of his 157 movies are lost. Oh. Many of the others, like of the remaining ones, are in really bad shape or truncated due to decomposition. Uh, when I was at the Museum of the Weird, they mentioned a fire taking at least one. Lon Chaney, A Thousand Faces, was a documentary made in 2000, produced by film historian Kenneth Brownlaw, and narrated by my least favorite, Kenneth Branagh. I don't know why I hate him, I just do. Both he, Lon Chaney, and his son are mentioned in the, uh, are mentioned in the song Werewolves of London. His son, Creighton, changed his name to Lon Chaney Jr. and became an actor. He is best known as a horror actor for his lead role in The Wolfman. And he was in a movie I need to see now called Hillbillies in a Haunted House. That sounds like our kind of movie. It sure does. Like his dad, not all of his movies were him as monsters. For instance, he played Lenny Smalls in Of Mice and Men and supporting roles in movies like High Noon. Lon Chaney remains important because he was the first horror actor because he wasn't a horror actor, just an actor who happened to create characters who were scary and made the audience feel. And I think we can all agree those are the best horror movies. As horror director Jennifer Kent put it, you can see that it's a person's face. It's just a face that's been distorted, without CGI, obviously, but manipulated so that it looks human, but almost not. We see other examples of his influence throughout time. Doug Jones, probably the most famous actor whose name you don't know, has been Billy in Hocus Pocus, the lead gentleman in Buffy, and the pale man in Pan's Labyrinth. Terrifying, entrancing, using only makeup and his body. Uh, in the aforementioned interview in Movie Weekly, Cheney explains, Most of my roles have carried the theme of self-sacrifice or renunciation, and these are the stories I wish to do. Lon Chaney. Oh, that is so cool. I Okay, we love practical effects in movies. Yes. Like, I... We get mad at CGI. Yeah. 
Because, like, especially, like, unnecessary oh my CGI. God. Yeah, there have been some movies that, like, it's... So, oh, God. What was that awful movie? Oh, no, the wonderful movie. Uh, but awful, insidious. Yeah. Where it's, like, this movie so scary. And then they show the monster, and it's like, oh, CG. Yeah. Not scared now. Yeah, it's like I, under, like, I understand, like, there's a lot of movies now where they're using CGI for, like, dogs and other animals. Just because, like, there's been so much bad press about people mistreating, like, but then you also end up with Uncanny Animals. Valley, which yeah. I talk about way back in our early episodes about why we're afraid of dolls. Because you can always, like, except for dog tails. Uh, dog tails, they often CGI because the dogs are like, look how good I'm doing. Look how good I'm doing. And they're wagging their tails. It's like you're supposed to be growling. Uh, so they do CGI that you can't really tell. But when the faces, like, God, remember the um, the mut- mutts, muttons in um, Hunger Games? Oh, yeah. They were so much scarier in my head because it was like, Spoiler alert for a book book that came out 15 years ago. Oh, God. Um, It's these giant dogs with the eyes of the other competitors, which is so fucking scary when you think about it. But then the movie, it's like, oh, whatever. So yeah, practical effects all go back to Lon Chaney. If it wasn't for him, we probably would have developed one, but we wouldn't be as far as we are now. Yeah. But then maybe that would mean we weren't so into CGI. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so I guess uh, my... My takeaway is practical effects movie people, because I know many famous directors listen to our podcast. Many! Guillermo del Toro, focus strictly on the practical effects. Tim Burton, get back to what you're best at. Stop the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and bullshit. You know, I'll say it, like, maybe take a break from Johnny Depp. I don't think they've done movie together in a while. And oh. I know he and Helena Bonham Carter haven't, because I think there was like a mass falling out with them. <gasps> oh, drama. Well... Tim Burton and Helen Bottom Carter broke up, mm. and he and Johnny Depp, I don't know what happened there, but I know they haven't, of course, I don't know what the last thing Tim Burton did was either. I don't either. Um, I forgot to write down questions, and I feel like I've talked for a while, so I'm just going to pass it on to Austin. Yay! How long have I talked? Uh, you've talked about 30 minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's shorter than usual. I can keep yeah. going. <laughs> so, did you... All right, my segment. So we've talked a lot about testing on this show, like IQ testing, reading comprehension, standardized tests, water pollution tests, you name it. DNA tests, DNA blood tests. testing, COVID hey, tests. We just took a DNA test and it turns out I'm 100% on topic this week. I don't know if that was a good segue or not, so keep going. I don't either. <laughs> but this is something we've ignored this one, even though when I'm about to mention this test... A good portion of our audience is going to cringe a little bit because I'm going to talk this week about the presidential physical fitness test. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. You know, the thing we all hated when we had to do pull-ups, run a mile, do sit-ups, and also lean forward real far for some reason. That was the only one I was good at. (laughs) I'm actually very flexible. I could be the next Doug Jones. You could. Except for the whole falling and breaking bones all the time thing. Hey, maybe that might help. You get like a real weird angle on an arm. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Like, I remember, like, this test, the big thing I remember was, first of all, I hated running, so I always did awful at the mile. I was, okay, emotional damage. I was so bad at running the mile that my PE teachers would mock me in front of the whole class oh. and also make me run extra laps in front of the class while they watched. Um, to be clear, guys... I had sinuses that were sticking into, like, bones sticking into sinuses, one sinus that was completely closed, and they just assumed I was fat and lazy, when in fact I could not breathe. Yeah. I mean, I was also fat oh, and lazy. You're but... gonna, yeah, uh, I remember, like, I hated the mile, but also, 
I remember during this test, like there was a kid who was like the big like soccer player kid mm-hmm. who is all about running, and he like him having an absolute temper tantrum over the fact that he was not doing well at the stretching part, the sit up part, or the like reaching forward part, <laughs> throwing a temper tantrum that he didn't do well at these. And I also remember uh, the gym teacher had to ask one of the girls in our class who was doing the flex arm hang to stop after two minutes because like other people had to go up there. Wait, is that like a chin up that you hold it? Yeah. She was up there for two minutes. Do I know her? Uh, I don't think so. She was, she was also, she had chronic health problems. I do remember that. Whoa. And she was like, she weighed like 50 pounds. She was nothing. That's still fucking strong. Yeah. I was lucky if I could get up there at all. So, like, we had this test, and she had a bad reaction to it. I hated it. Everyone I've talked to has hated this test, and they remember it poorly. Well, why the hell did we do it? And I'm going to go with not because of the gym teachers. No, it had nothing to do with the gym teachers. And this is a bit crazier and a whole lot stupider than anyone would have guessed. Uh, like a lot of dun- dumb shit that we have to do and endure in America, this started in the 1950s. Uh, now, when I started researching, the, researching this, I assumed it was Reagan's fault. Oh, wait. No, I remember because I was asking if it was Clinton's fault. And you said you thought it was Reagan's fault. And I thought it was more recent than that. And we were both wrong. Yeah. It goes back in the 50s. Uh, by the way, I assumed it was Reagan's fault, but he didn't start it. He did, however, make it worse. So I'm gonna, still going to count it. Uh, it started in the night when uh, two early physical therapists, uh, Dr. H- Drs. Hans Kraus and Dr. Sonia Weber, theorized that adults could prevent back, knee, and other old people problems that, like, you know, we totally have if they developed fitness habits as kids. Okay, it's not a bad theory. Yeah, not a bad theory. So they developed a fitness test for kids. Sure. And it was a pretty simple test. It was, can you do... One sit-up. Can you do a slightly different sit-up with your legs straight out? Can you touch your toes? Can you can you lay on your torso and lift up your legs? Like, lay, lay on your front and lift up your legs. Mm-hmm. Can you lay on your front and lift up your torso? How, wait. Kind of like, just kind of like lift yourself up, up, up. Are Almost, your arms out straight? Yeah. Okay. So, like, can you lift up your torso? That was it. That's it was, that all seems reasonable. That was just, can you do these things? Super easy. Uh, A majority of European students passed it. Mm -hmm. However, a majority of American students failed this test. And people lost their shit. Sure. Uh, Krauss and Weber blamed modern American decadence for why American students were failing. You know, they were driven everywhere and their parents don't give them any hard chores. All they have to do is like mow the lawn or walk the dog or bring out trash. They're not chopping wood and going on hikes and riding bikes like European students. So where were they doing this test in the country? Uh, like, was this suburbia? This was just uh, at schools across America. They didn't... There is zero, zero methodology behind any of this. No, actually, this is a really interesting connection to standardized testing because we do that for all the kids across America. Then we're like, why are we failing compared to Japan? Because... Japan only does a select group of students. Uh, They don't go out to the rural areas and do the same test, so they are only getting the wealthier kids who are able to get into the wealthier schools. Yeah. So we're comparing everybody here to a select group then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this, like, obviously, based on what you just said, this sounds kind of like it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. But it's not bullshit for the reason you think. Because, like, 
there was really no difference between the amount of activity between American students and European students. In the 1950s in America, more than half of American kids still walked to school. Like, there was a large rural contingent who did do these hard chores. Like, even in urban environments, they still used public transportation. They were moving around more. Like, there was not a lot of American decadence happening, especially in comparison to European students. Mm -hmm. And, but the difference wasn't in how, like, what we were doing. It was in how physical education was taught. Because in Europe, they do more calisthenic-focused PE. It's like Mm -hmm. group exercises where they all do jumping jacks or squats or whatever as a group. But in America, uh, because um, we kind of got weirded out by that back in, like, you know, uh, World War II, because the Nazis were doing that a lot. Okay. We got weirded out by it. So we focused our PE from being, like, calisthenics to almost being entirely sports and games. And naked swimming. And naked swimming. The girls didn't, just the guys. So this test that they developed that was based entirely on calisthenics uh, was something that these European students had practiced and had done before. Well, the American students hadn't done this. So but this, if they had tested us against, like, how far can these other kids kick a ball? Like, how, or, like, how, like, serve, can you serve a volleyball? Can you shoot a free throw? Like, that stuff, we would have done better. Things that I can actually kind of do. Yeah. So, this, like, that was the big reason. And they even, Krauss and Weber even stated that American students with six weeks of education on doing this could probably do as well as Europeans. So six weeks is what they need. Yeah, six weeks of practice, and they could have been as good because this was a test on something they hadn't studied. But... This sounds like a really flawed study unless they plan to follow up in 30 years. Oh, incredibly flawed study. And we're even going to get into that too. So uh, Krauss and Webb... But but Eisenhower, you know, the former Supreme Commander of the Allies, who was the president, uh, found out about this. And immediately lost his shit. He became worried about America's combat readiness in cold war, in the Cold War world against Europeans. He thought, if we're, how could we win the war if our students are weaker than the commies? If our kids can't raise their legs while lying flat on their stomachs, we are going to lose against these commies. And uh, part of this reason that he so freaked out was because Krauss and Weber went to the Oval Office and personally gave Eisenhower the Krauss-Weber test, and he passed it. He was pretty fit. He was pretty fit. Yeah, Eisenhower okay, was Krauss a fit too. Okay, Weber, are they European themselves? Yes, they are. So they were basing this test entirely off of the, the PE system there. Yeah, yeah. Zero methodology. None at all. But they also had no reason to believe that our PE would be different. Yeah. So um, Eisenhower, in light of this crisis, created the Presidential Council on Youth Fitness and said, you guys figure this out, but he gave them no resources to do so. But give me the credit when it goes well. Yeah. What they found with looking into this was American students were fairly healthy. And really the best way to encourage fitness was to encourage free play. And maybe these neighborhoods we're building make it so that there's more parks and they're more pedestrian friendly. So pe- so kids can walk places instead of having to depend on their parents to drive them places. I see the rage. They can't hear the rage, but I see it. She's clenching her fists and she is pressing her mouth shut and trying to do the focused breathing. When I was a teacher, I used to ask my students, my sixth graders, when the last time was they were encouraged to just play and use their imaginations in school, and none of them could remember. Yeah. I remember vaguely having two recesses. But then they turned one of the recesses into an organized recess where the teachers made us play a certain game. I just wanted to read a book. But... 
the fact that my sixth graders couldn't remember the last time they were allowed to just play and with, in class when their imaginations were encouraged, of course we're fat. What else are we going to... My kids yeah. were not fat, to be clear. Um, we as in like... The Americans royal we. In general, the we. The royal we. Because yes. like... Queen Elizabeth. When our brain has nothing else to stimulate itself, we need to give it input. Yeah. And so, in the case of me, that input is ice cream. Yeah. But obviously, um, as you can tell by her rage, they didn't implement this because that was some weak commie bullshit. Yes, so, because the commies are no, known for disorganized free play. Yeah. So they revised it to be more of a test. And by the way, it was like the guy that, especially because there was a, a sports writer who was all about the manliness and fitness. He looked, I didn't write down his name, but I saw a picture of him. He looked like the old tiny, like, I'm going to stand there and throw a ball back and forth fitness guys. You're talking about like the dads or <laughs> yeah just like you no know, like those like guys who have like the big weighted balls the singlet oh, tossing them back the and forth sh- shot kind of like the medicine ball yeah those just are like the worst yeah uh i got a volleyball once that was actually a medicine ball that had been mispackaged as a volleyball <gasps> oh um have you ever noticed that the insides of my arms don't bruise yeah it's because i used that for a year damn so the insides of my arms are just dead so they made this test. Uh, it included a 600-yard walk-run, the shuttle run, which is when you sprint back and forth, Yep. Uh, pull-ups for the boys, and modified pull-ups for the girls, which is just hanging there. I thought it had to do with hand position. No. Remember when they wouldn't let us, like, it, there was like a specific way your hands had to be positioned or you're doing them wrong? I'm yeah. Like, Isn't the point that I can do it at all? Yeah. Uh, sit-ups, the standing broad jump, the 50-yard dash, and a softball throw. So an underhanded throw with a ball that is entirely too large. Yeah. And if you think, huh, this seems kind of a lot like military exercises and drills, you would be right. Because they wanted to make sure American students were ready for the military should they have to fight the communists. I gotta go back to this. Did they just have the girls hanging there? Yeah. What was the, what were they doing? Literally just hanging there. I could do that for like an hour. Was it like, do this for five seconds and then jump down? Don't know. I'm so confused. Continue to be confused because it gets worse from here. It's like, uh, literally, uh, they figured that the uh, softball throw was actually a stand-in for throwing grenades. So they wanted to make sure that America's children were ready to be able to throw a grenade. Are grenades thrown underhand? They can be. Huh. Yeah. There's also an optional swimming portion. At what point will hanging completely still come in handy? Uh, it's for the girls. So why were the girls participating in this at all? I don't know, because they were in school. Why weren't they off taking sewing and cooking for your man classes? Yeah. An optional swimming portion, but it was never implemented because there weren't enough ac- there wasn't enough access to pools, so they never really did anything with it. Uh, unless they had them, then it was naked swimming. Yeah. Sorry, I just can't get over the fact that in schools that used to be what they had the boys do. I'm like, where nowadays yeah. it's like you need to wear 27 layers of clothing while you're swimming. The goal is to see if you don't drown. Yeah. If you drown, you're not a witch and you're good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it didn't work, obviously. And then uh, when Kennedy was elected, before he even got into office, he wrote an article in Sports Illustrated entitled The Soft American. It was super sanctimonious. Uh, and basically, it boiled down to kids were watching too much TV and not building enough muscles. And how can we fight the commies if our kids are not strong? Are we planning on sending kids in to fight the commies? Probably. I have um, my own set of issues with JFK. Yeah. That I might cover at some point. Here's a quote from the article. 
the here we go. Well, should I do it in like my normal voice, or should I try a JFK accent? <laughs> Which is not quite a Boston accent. The uh, harsh fact of the matter is that there is also an increasingly large number of young Americans who are neglecting their bodies. <laughs> That's genuinely not bad. His his accent is halfway between Boston and the dead Mid Atlantic accent. <laughs> Whose physical fitness is not what it should be. Who are getting your uh, soft. And such softness is on the part of the individual citizen can only help to strip and destroy the vitality of a nation. So, uh, for those of you keeping track at home, score at home, this is the one impression I can fucking pull off, and I am a little bit proud of it. <laughs> you didn't become Australian, good for you. I was starting to at the end. Um, he, yeah, he fully fed into the Cold War national security fears. And wait, was his affair with Marilyn Monroe entirely to entice boys to become stronger and fight the commies? I think it's because his doctors were injecting him with speed. I mean, whose doctors aren't? A lot of doctors were at the time. It was the big thing. Wait, are they not supposed to do that anymore? Not supposed to. Is that what you're doing at your doctor's appointments? I I need to make a phone call. (laughs) So because this old test wasn't working, he made a new test. And well, actually, he made an advisory council and they made a new test. And this test was mandatory. Uh, it was similar to the test that we all had to put up with when we were in school. So this test was 50 years old when we got to it, which is probably why it seems so old tiny. Remember how they had to bring in extra people to help with the test because we all had to do it at the same time? Nope. Oh, God. We had, a, we had to bring in, like, I think it was parent volunteers to like measure this shit. But at least back then, we didn't have to do public weigh-ins. Oh, I'm going to get that, too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the test, it had sit-ups, the sit and reach, pull-ups, and the mile run. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've changed some minor parts of it over the years, but like it was basically stayed as that. So they changed the pull-ups to the flexed arm hang, which is what you just hung there. See, I still do pull-ups. Yeah. uh, Also, uh, it was not super well implemented. It was not standardized. uh, If it was the flexed arm hang, I probably would have done better because I could usually get up once. Yeah. Uh, Like, you know... uh, LBJ uh, added the competitive portion to it where the top 85% got the president's physical fitness award. I actually did get it once. Yeah. Because I could sit and reach so damn well. Then uh, Ronald Reagan added uh, BMI measurements to it, including a weigh-in and a uh, skin fold measurement. I do remember that there was a weigh-in involved. There was not. Wait. Did I just awaken an awful memory? There, oh my god, there was a skin fold measurement. Yeah. Both of these are wildly inaccurate, by the way, guys. If your doctor tells you that BMI, especially if they tell you that's valid, find a new doctor. Yeah, BMI means literally nothing. Like, I had a doctor look at me once because I was not a healthy weight for my frame, as in I had bones sticking out all over the place, and I am not, I should, nobody should have that many bones sticking out. And they... Or the only doctor who suspected something was wrong yeah. and said, just so you know, we have to write down BMI, but I need you to ignore it because it doesn't apply. Do you understand? Yeah. So my, my changes, because like, you know, every president came in and was like, we need to fix the obesity epidemic. And then they decided we're not going to do anything about this. We're just going to say we are. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of like added more testing or tweaked a little bit or put a new person in charge. Or turned or ketchup into a vegetable. Turn ketchup into a vegetable, did all stuff. But in 2013, it was phased out completely. (laughs) Sorry, I know what comes next. (laughs) Yeah. So this test was around for about 50 years. 
It impacted generations of American students. It infected all of our mental health. So what did it accomplish? Nothing. The proponents of this national fitness test mentioned it could lead to a lifetime of fitness and friendly and the friendly app, app competition aspect could improve the self-esteem of okay. students. And you know what? That could all be done by PE. It could, but you need to make it all a positive. And I will tell you, I fucking love PE teachers. Mm -hmm. Like, I can tell you the biggest allies I ever had in schools were PE teachers. They're fucking amazing. And you know who hates shit like this? PE teachers. PE teachers. It's like, it gets worse though. And they also said like, no, this is a lot of data. It'll help us figure things out over this long-term study. But you want to hear in terms of the hard numbers and official analysis of these 50 years of fitness tests, there's nothing. The tests weren't standardized. The reporting wasn't standardized. Wait a second. Only the bottom 15% didn't get an award? Was no, it... uh, the top the top 15. So if you scored Oh, above, you said 85% got it. No, if you scored over 85%. Oh, okay. I was I, I suddenly processed it. I'm like, wait a second. Does it mean 85% of kids got an yeah. award and they all get to laugh at the kid who was me? I think I got yeah. it once. Yeah. They did, they did not do almost nothing with any of this data. And there was never even a serious attempt to gather all of it. Mm-hmm. And there were some serious criticisms uh, made throughout the last, you know, 50 years. Likely by educators and yep. health professionals. Yep. Like, uh, the tests were not something that students were ever prepared for. Uh, we still mostly focused on sports and games, not exercises like this. A lot of the times, these students, even, like, flexible students and gymnasts, would have trouble with the sit and reach because that was not a normal stretch they did. Except for it's me. It's a very specific stretch that they don't do. Goddamn sit and reach champion. Uh, the pull-up was an awful test for this because mo- a majority of the students cannot do it. Yeah, we that never practiced it. That is an awful metric to, for a test. Well, also, like, kids with any kind of disability were still expected to take the exact yeah. same test when yeah. we were kids, at least. Uh-huh. It was awful for students with disabilities. Um, the mile run absolutely sucked for a lot of students because me yeah it was like everyone would finish and they'd be waiting on these slower people and they would either be like you know resentful that i could have free time that you're wasting or they'd just be sitting there waiting laughing at you watching people run and that's having your video having your teacher videotape you and then point out all the ways you're doing it wrong these tests largely made kids dislike gym class Uh and it hurt their self-esteem uh-huh like I straight up considered putting a trigger warning at the start of this because a lot of people are going to have very bad memories associated with the president's physical fitness test. But then I reminded Austin of the science proving that trigger warnings are actually harmful for people with PTSD like me. Exactly. I actually asked some of my coworkers who are like roughly my age uh, what what they remember about the president's physical fitness test. And the responses were universally negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly it was groans and scrunched faces and people talking about how embarrassing it was to fail in front of your entire class. Yeah. Um, yeah. I my, when, I have twisted knees. I have a kneecap that pops out of place and I couldn't breathe through my nose. And it would take me. Okay. When I was a kid, 15 minutes to walk a mile, 30 minutes to run it because I had to keep stopping because I couldn't breathe. And instead of just stopping me at a certain time. Yeah. They would just make me sit there while the other kids for 15 minutes watch me run in circles. And half the time they'd put me in a fucking hill. What is that shit? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it also turned a lot of people off of gym class. Yes. I hated like, gym class. People literally avoid certain types of exercises because it reminds them of gym class. I don't take group health cl- or group exercise classes at gyms because of this. Yeah. 
So there were very real negatives for millions of people, all because there was a perceived, perceived potential positive. That was a weird sentence. Perceived potential positive. That nobody ever even tried to measure. It's like the worst episode of I didn't know I was pregnant. I personally hated these tests. And Austin played like varsity baseball. Yeah. And especially with my father belittling me for not doing well on the mile run. He was a runner and didn't understand why I was so bad at it. Because people are different from each other. Yeah. I've always been a slow runner. Like I am not fast. Like I got little stubby legs And even if I was perfectly fit, I would be a broad fellow. I am not built for running. Yeah, Austin and I are built to be the last two people to die in the horror movie because we decide to take on the monster while the skinny pretty girl survives. Mm -hmm. And this really, this like the mile run really cemented a hatred of running it. Yes. I did kick ass in the sit-ups. Like, I did so well, the gym teacher didn't believe my numbers and made me do them again. What? And I got more the second time. Was no one monitoring you? Were you just self-reporting? Yeah. Oh, that's why we had extra people. Yeah. And I sit and reach like a motherfucker. So now that I have opened up some deeply held trauma in our American audience (laughs) and confused anyone listening from other countries. What's up, Japan? (laughs) Yeah, seriously. um, Every time you think, oh, oh, dip, America's fucked up, you're scratching the surface at best. Like, you just need to, like... Listen to Americans, and you realize, oh no, it's worse Are than I thought. Are we about to get into the part where I can give a genuine thanks to a certain president? Go ahead. Thanks, Obama. Yeah, I didn't cover. I only covered the president's official statement. I didn't cover what followed it. Oh, guys. Oh, guys. Oh, oh no. Oh no, no, no. no. Yeah. Um. When they got rid of it, they didn't eliminate it. They replaced it with something made up by Michelle, who has. No background in this. Like, Dr. Oz is actually more qualified. (laughs) And I have kids who I saw having to wear Fitbits to monitor their walking and their heartbeats. And that would do things like tell them to get up and move throughout the day on the weekends when they were at home just hanging out with their families. Like, and this is not the PE teacher's fault. I want to be abundantly clear with that. Because you know who hates these? PE teachers. You know who hates shaming kids? PE teachers well, who deserve the good PE teachers. And I can honestly say there are way more now. Yeah. I, we um, had some bad ones at our school. Oh my God. I could go through like the series of traumas I have at the hands of my PE teachers. Um, basically until high school. Um, when I had a guy teaching our girls PE class. Hit this poor man. He was, because they have to monitor the locker room. This poor man is in there. He's got his windows closed. And he's just like, please don't talk to me. And then I took summer PE. I got wicked shin splints. (laughs) But like, yeah, because of PE classes growing up, because of things like this, I look at classes being taught at our local gym, like Zumba and stuff. And I'm like, that looks fun. I can't do it. They're going to make fun of me. Yeah. I can't do it. I'm not going to be as good at at this as them. Which is why I've been telling Austin we should go take ballroom dance classes because then we can be bad together. (laughs) Yes. That's what marriage really is. It's being bad at something together. Uh, It's hating the same things. Okay. So we can go find out if we hate ballroom dance together. together. All right. Are you ready for some questions now that we've talked about our deeply held traumas? Oh, I could keep going on my deeply held traumas if you I know. Want. We could like go, I, we could be here for like the next six hours. We could just do a bonus episode. We could get a Patreon and be like, oh, we're going to give bonus episodes where we each discuss our deeply held traumas. If we get a, I'm going to say 
a single comment saying, yes, we want to hear your deeply held tra- traumas, we'll do a Patreon. We'll and this will be the Patreon. bonus episode you get for it. Um, uh, I think if we were to do a Patreon, we could like give people options. Like, do you want to hear our deeply held traumas this week? Or do you want to hear about a broken bone this week? <laughs> or do you want to just see pictures of our cats? <laughs> yeah, I think we would do Patreon. Right? I, think I, think the Patre- I think like the uh, cat tier of Patreon. Like, I'm really annoyed with one of the Patreons I follow because they're like, add free episodes. I'm like, oh, sweet. That's what I want. Yeah, they only mean their bonus episodes, which some of which are talkbacks about their main episodes. And they're on two separate feeds. Ugh, I'm like, I'm not going to go back and forth. I'm just deleting all of these. Yeah. Why am I on this Patreon? So are you ready for your questions? Yeah. Well, the fact that JFK was kind of a dick about fit- kids' fitness beyond the test. Well, the fact that JFK was kind of a dick beyond the president beyond the test. Probably should be, but it won't. Well, the fact that these tests are bad for measuring fitness beyond the test. Yes, because we don't have it anymore. Yeah. And, well, the fact that this is the only area in schooling where we don't specifically spend the entire year teaching to the standardized test beyond the test. Huh. Yeah, because, again, we never, this is stuff we That is do. a standardized test that we don't do any work toward. Yeah. I will say I had some PE teachers who at least spent like a week showing us what it was going to be and having us practice Never a couple had of times, that. but it'd be like, we're doing the president's physical remember, fitness test oh, this the week. The worst was the teachers who were like, you're running the mile. Let's run 17 practice miles. We never had that. We did have a uh, PE immediately after lunch. Yes. Or the, oh God, the ones where it's PE and then lunch in the middle and then PE. Yeah. Or the ones where it was like PE immediately followed by recess and you're too tired to enjoy recess. PE teachers, I really do love you. Thank you for being the biggest allies for my theater department. Uh, The same goes for the coaches. They really were. That whole, like, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but the whole movie coach versus theater teacher. Are you saying that the TV show Glee was not a documentary? Honestly, she supported him better than a lot of the other shows do. Yeah. I can honestly say, like, I would sit down with the coaches and be like, okay, here's what I'm wanting to do for my shows. When are your tournaments and stuff like that? I had a lot more problems with, um other types of coaches i'm like i have two days out of the entire year and we would also like do things like we would sit down and explain to the students why they had to choose between a sport and the play this semester and how it won't be held against them if they took one or the other if you want to try out for the sport next year it doesn't matter that you didn't do it this year if you want to try out for the play next year it doesn't matter that you didn't do it this year these are the kinds of arrangements i could make with with the coaches and the pe teachers were like you know what let's like let's make this work together like seriously thank you for not being the shitty pe teachers of our youths yeah. yeah. I hope they're all retired and in some cases dead. Yeah. Oh, God. We had some bad ones. Yeah. Nobody made me cry like some of them. Ugh. Um, so, where can people find us? Well, they can find us on Twitter at OnTheTestPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OnTheTestPod, on Instagram at OnTheTestPod, on TikTok at on the test pod. Yes, and I've been quiet on our TikTok for a bit because it's been too hot to do a lot of the work. But guys, the temperature's going down. I'm going back into the haunted closet. And of course, our website, on the Work in progress as it has always been. But you cannot find us in a gym class back in 1997. No, you we cannot. are done with that. Never again. And on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed. Let's go ballroom dancing. <laughs>